Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecrack's movie podcast. Bangerang! <laughs> Rufio, Rufio, Yeah, Rufi. that too. Oh, <laughs> what's up? I'm Austin Hayden Smith, and I'm joined by the Show Me the Meaning crew. We got Rhyme, Rhymond, Ryan. <laughs> Soft <up>? film fans. <laughs> We have fused, much like the thing, <laughs> to form one <laughs> last to week. form one podcast host. Hey, everybody! Uh, 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 bangerang and all that. Bangerang and all that. That's right. So this week, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about the 1991. I guess we can call it a classic, but we can talk yeah. about whether or not it's a classic. It's a classic, right? Yeah. Uh, Hook. Directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Robin Williams, Dustin Hoffman having a hell of a time, Julia Roberts, Bob Hoskins, maybe even having more of a hell of a time, Maggie Smith. Um, So before we get into the recap, let's do some first impressions. We also do just want to say, this was the film that was the patron chosen film. It was the one that won. So you all voted for this out Thank there. Thank you, patrons. That's right. My pick, too. And this was Ryan's Finally. Ryan's selection. <laughs> That's right. So he's gloating. So we're going to give him a victory lap <laughs> right. right now Thank and you. tell us his first impressions and uh, what do you think revisiting the film? How many times have you seen this? Why did you choose this film? Go ahead, Ryan. Um, I think, uh, uh, so yeah, when I first saw this, obviously as a kid, I, I only have good memories of it. To me, this is a, this was a classic film in my head and I was definitely wondering, is it going to hold up or is it going to be one of those things where it was more nostalgia and more just the time and place that I saw it? And no, the answer is it's a fucking classic movie that holds up. And I, I think it's, I stand by it. It's one of the best, it's probably one of the best kids movie I've ever seen. It just has the package, man. It has Steven Spielberg directing Robin Williams, amazing performance, awesome side uh, performances with Dustin Hoffman, Julia Roberts, Bob Hoskins, like you mentioned. I mean, everyone in it is awesome and it just gives you the feels, which a kid movie should do. I feel like, or it's good when they do. Um, and then, but it also works for adults and that's what the movie is fucking about is kids and adults and growing up. And, and so I was pleasantly surprised that I've, gr- I'm not a kid anymore. I grew up just like Peter Pan did in the movie and I still liked hook. So I think that yeah. says something about the movie. Um, I know Steven Spielberg was really disappointed in the film. It was a kind of a box office bomb, even though it made like over a hundred million bucks. So it, it cost a lot of money. So that probably has something to do with it. But no, I, I think he should be very proud of the film. And I've watched actually like every Robin Williams documentary lately. So this is kind of a good syncing up that that Mm. we did this podcast because I was definitely in Robin Williams mood. I mean, he's like, he he is an enigma. I I love, he's an American Mm. treasurer. He's the best. So, and it was perfect casting for this. I mean, because he is the, the child in a, giant adult body also portrayed in jack <laughs> <laughs> hey real quick um what what are the documentaries that you've been watching on robin williams well there was robin's wish and come inside my mind both are very good they kind of okay. tread over the same uh stuff some of it but they're both good to watch if you're a robin williams fan cool okay raymond what do you think about hook um i had seen this a couple of times as a kid hadn't watched it since uh i don't really have the nostalgia bone um so i even though i had seen this when i was younger it still didn't really like trigger any real fondness i had some memories surrounding it but um for the most part i guess i guess my thoughts on this are i think it's a really cool idea for a family film i like the premise that an adult Peter Pan has to return to Neverland to settle a score. There better not be a butt in this sentence, Raymond. What is your butt? <laughs> but I'm not. I'm not crazy. About this <laughs> what? Oh no. I don't. I don't really. It, it just doesn't really do anything for me. And I wish that I could say more because I've, I've, um, I've seen a lot of folks online who hate on this movie, and I don't agree with that. I, I don't think there's anything in this movie that makes it, like, pure garbage or worthy of, you know, of my ire as a, a film fan. But it just doesn't really do anything for me. So I'm kind of excited to hear what you guys have to say about it and see if it can maybe spark something for me or, or hear your perspectives on this. Because for me, it's just like, it's it's just a... No feels? No feels? No, it just doesn't really do anything for me. I, th- I think okay. there's a lot of there. There are a lot of interesting ideas. 
but it just it's just kind of boring for me it just it it, it i i think to say something nice about it this was a, a pricey movie and that money looks like it it made its way on the screen i mean every when they show up in neverland you it feels like you're in a theme park it's such a cool idea for a a concept or a a realization of that world is to to make it like something recognizable the way that a theme park is but still very fantastic i think there's a lot of fun stuff going on Uh, i think there there is a lot to like about the film but at the end of it i'm just kind of left uh feeling like it's uh i don't know less than the sum of its parts that's very disappointing i will say to your point about it being boring or whatever which i I completely disagree with it's not boring but it is a two hour and i want to say 20 minute or two hour yeah it's close to two and a half hours two and a half hour family film is unexcusable steven spielberg what what were you and your editor doing i think he's I think he's pushing it. I will say, I yeah. think the best parts of this movie are when it embraces the notion of it's being kind of like a live action cartoon. There's, oh yeah, there are some of those when, when the man becomes those, a cannonball, kid becomes a cannonball. Yeah, yeah, goofy, goofy stuff like that that sticks in your mind. Those more indelible moments where I think it really works, or the kids, you know, skateboarding down and and uh, and skateboarding up the half pipe to dunk a basketball. Hell Just yeah. goofy, goofy stuff like that that is so well conceived as just like a single little gag and i think that the movie just kind of collapses under its own weight it's it's almost two and a half hours i think if it were a little more focused if it were 90 minutes if they got to neverland a little bit quicker and got the story moving a little bit quicker i probably would have had a much better time with it yeah, so this film for me was definitely one of those ones that I watched a bunch when I was a kid, and I loved it. I loved the idea of, like, I wanted to live with the Lost Boys in Neverland. And plus, remember, this is 91, right? So all you wanted to do was, like, skateboard and ride your rollerblades. And so I was like, cool, man, they've got a freaking half pipe in their little time, home. It's I'm kind like, of a time capsule, yeah. Yeah, so I'm like, that's all I want to do, you know, is is kind of hang out with my boys and skate and stuff like that. So I wanted to be one of the Lost Boys, so... I definitely have the nostalgic attachment to this. I also cannot, when, when someone mentions Hook, I actually kind of forget that Robin Williams is in it for a second because I immediately think of Dustin Hoffman and Bob Hoskins just constantly. I also forget that Julia Roberts is in it. Not that they're not good in what they're doing, but I think that those two and that the pirate world and that the Lost Boys world are really what this film is about to me. That's I love it. It is the theme park come to life, and it still holds up for me in that respect. I think the story itself is is fun, too. You know, you've got this kind of, like, balance, if you will, or, or this, this challenge between the one side of pirates and adults, and then, of course, Peter Banning is like a, a real pirate in real life. He's a corporate pirate, right? Which is like what Wendy says. And then you've got youth and, and the beauty of youth and memory and things. So I think there's this really like wonderful juxtaposition of ideas and it talks about memory and imagination, all things that I think are integral to storytelling. And so I think as a story, I think it does a really good job of trying to kind of like get to the value and the importance of youth and memory and holding on to the past and things like that. And so I think there's, um, and it, which is an interesting spin, especially in the world today where it's like, forget the past and forget the future and just be present. No, there's something kind of wonderful about remembering where you came from and remembering the past. There's something there. So I, I think it's really interesting. I also do, uh, before we kind of finish, uh, get into the recap here, I got to give a shout out to Mr. Sexy Noodles, who challenged me on YouTube to go one episode without talking about capitalism and communism. And he said, and if I do that, he will buy me a beer. And I just want to say, Mr. Sexy Noodles, it's on. All right. Well, you just, not you just, you just blew it for this episode by talking about the deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, no. but OK, so here we go. We're going to go into the recap now. OK. So basically, what would happen if Peter Pan did, in fact, grow up? Well, according to this story, he'd become a real-world pirate. Successful corporate lawyer Peter Banning as a workaholic and is pretty tuned out of his children's life. One night, while he and his family are visiting uh, his family, his wife's grandmother in London, Wendy Darling, his children are kidnapped by Captain James Cook. Wendy insists that Peter is actually truly Peter Pan and that only he can save his children by believing the truth. 
Later that night, Tinkerbell visits Peter and uses pixie dust to bring him to Neverland, and she drops him on the pirate side of the island, where he sees his children being held captive, causing him to reveal himself as Pan. Hook then challenges Peter to a duel, but when Peter fails to remember, Tinkerbell convinces Hook to give Peter three days to prepare for the final battle. Hook agrees, and Peter's sent to the home of the Lost Boys. This ragtag group of rambunctious youngins is led by Rufio, and the boys, they end up kind of mocking Peter at first with their allegiance to Rufio, but then eventually they come to see that he is, in fact, Peter, but just grown up. So they agree to train him and help him to fully remember. At the same time, however, Hook's right-hand man, Smee, convinces Hook to gain Peter's children's love so that they will choose him. And it sort of works for the son, Jack, but daughter Maggie never wavers in her commitment to her father. Finally, Peter does remember what happened after repeated visits to... Wendy in London, he basically fell in love with her granddaughter, Moira, and so he decided to give up eternal youth for love, another theme alert that we could probably explore. And this helps him remember his birth, which becomes the happy memory that enables him to fully regain his Peter Pan powers and fly. During the final duel with the pirates, you got the Lost Boys and you got the pirates fighting it out. Rufio's killed by Hook, which then triggers Peter to go full pan badass, and he bests Hook, who's ultimately devoured by that massive stuffed croc who once took his hand. Peter then wakes up in London, reunited with his family, and with a firm commitment to spend more quality time with them. But just before the film closes, Wendy tells Peter that his adventures are not yet over. End of film. Before we continue, I want to give a shout out to Storyblocks. Storyblocks is the complete stock solution to providing an unlimited library of over 1 million plus royalty-free, high-quality video, audio, and images. If you're a creative, then you know how pricey stock media can get. It ranges so widely, and single music track could cost you thousands of dollars. With Storyblocks, you can stay on budget with the most affordable subscription plans that still give you the tools you need to finish your project. Here at Wisecrack, we find different music for every video, so it's great that we can just hop on and download as many tracks as we need without having to worry about the individual price. We can test out each asset to see what we like, and there's no worry we'll accidentally spend on something we don't need or doesn't fit. The best part is that we'll stay on budget and we won't get those nasty copyright strikes. If you have a project and you need high-quality stock solution, then check out Storyblocks today. Click the link in the show notes or go to storyblocks.com slash wisecrack to learn more about their subscription plans. Now back to the show. All right, so let's jump straight into something that Ryan made uh, a point of at the outset where he said this was like a box office failure. Was it a box office failure or was it a box office success? Because I feel like this is a real beloved film and I know it made over 300 at the box office, but I know this is a real beloved film by many Although I will say it was definitely a critical failure. So, so was was it a box well, office? Well, box office or box office Mojo says it only made 120 million on a 70 million budget, which would be a failure because you know you, oh, you, you okay. usually cut that in half. So they're, they're getting about 60 million of that, which isn't the whole budget. Um, although Wikipedia says that it was a slight box office success somehow. Million. So, yeah. uh, but like only a slight. So I don't know what to believe, but either way, it was it, okay. di- it didn't like it wasn't a giant blockbuster like they obviously wanted it to be with all those all those giant yeah. set pieces and whatnot. Um, so yeah, it, it did not live up to the box office, uh, uh, whatever standards and then Hopes or, or expectations, expectations. Yeah, but and then also critics didn't like it. Like Roger Ebert gave it a really bad review and said it was just a Peter Pan rehash, and um, and critics you know don't like it. But kids have have decided that they liked it and they're the only ones that Yeah, matter. so here's here here's the thing like who who you know we put so much credit in like rotten tomatoes scores and in these professional reviewers and and sometimes i think there's value in that especially if you find somebody that is a reviewer that you really value their film sensibility but at what point do you just say like dude, shut the fuck up and stop using this metric. This is a good film and it's fun. Like let's stop being critics and let's just let films be yeah, uh, I never take the Rotten Tomatoes seriously. I mean, it's to me, it's just a little another little tool there, a little like they're like, okay, that's what the audience thinks, that's what the critics think. Yeah, you know, what do I think? Yeah. You know, so that's it's always just a little antidotal information to me. It's not like the end all be all of am I gonna see this movie based on that usually. I think there's also a tendency with a lot of critics to uh, to grade on a curve a little bit. And because Steven Spielberg was a critic darling or a critic's darling for so long, I think they, mm. th- I mean, 
there are some movies that he has made late in his career. Uh, I think Bridge of Spies particularly is a wonderful film that if anyone else was making, people wouldn't shut up about, oh, this 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 new kid on the block who just came out with this such a mature film. It's really great and, you know, so assured behind the camera. But I think we do take Steven Spielberg for granted a lot because he's he's made consistently, you know, good to great work for uh, what, like 50 years now. Um, yeah, and I, I think I, that, I like all the late stuff too. I think it's, yeah, I think, I think it's he's, all good. Uh, I Ready think he's had a lot of cool. really, really solid films uh, throughout his career. But I think that Hook may have been a victim a little bit of that that expectation uh, versus reality. And that's that's the guy in the in the chat who who's not a huge fan of this movie. I don't think it's worth savaging still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there, I, I did read a quote of his where he says that basically he never really had a firm grip on the script. He really liked the first act, but he didn't really know how to kind of execute the rest of it. And he said, and he covered over a lot of those insecurities and those uncertainties with production design. And so that's why you kind of just get this over-the-top, bombastic, artistic direction. But here's the thing for me. I actually find the production design and the artistic design to be my favorite part of the film. It is a theme park come to life. And I feel like I'm on Tom Sawyer's Island at Disneyland when I'm watching this film. And it helps me like... It puts me in the place of me running around in tree houses when I was a kid or running around in in uh, in the dirt and in the canyons and bike riding through like streams and things like that's what it does for me. So I actually think that's the strength of this film. I think I, I think absolutely. that's one of those. Oh, go ahead, Ryan. Oh, I, I was just going to echo what you were saying. And 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 I'm glad you brought up tree houses because I remember distinctly being a kid and being enthralled with tree houses. I wanted my own tree house so bad that I could yes. hang out and make my own house my own with my friends. House. And then this is like the <laughs> ultimate version of that. This is like, if you had all the resources, like, wow, they, they made this and they're just kids living there. And that's like the ultimate kid yeah. fantasy is no adults on a whole Island. And I'm making this amazing, uh, you know, castle with my friends, like with, half pipes and basketball courts and stuff. <laughs> Fuck yeah. yeah. Like this but is the life. It's Lord of the Flies, but awesome. Yes. I, I think there <laughs> there may be something telling in that though that Spielberg feels most connected to that first act. You know, one one of the things that I, I like about a lot of Spielberg's work, um, especially his early stuff, uh, I think of E.T. particularly as like his his greatest family film, at least in my estimation. Um and one of the things I like about E.T. so much is that he he takes the, those kids and their emotions seriously. He doesn't he doesn't look down on them. He never lets his camera look down on them. It is like a movie that is as much about the inner child being expressed by a filmmaker as this movie should be in a way, if that makes sense. And I kind of think there is there's a distance between Spielberg and that inner child with this film that, like you said, he he ends up maybe connecting most with that first act because that's how he sees himself now is more as the Peter Banning yeah. character. He has all of these responsibilities and stuff. And it's not necessarily to his discredit. You know, people change, their perspectives change. But I think that may be telling that he he felt like he kind of had to fake his way through the more childish aspects of it. Maybe he he just didn't feel as connected to that inner child anymore. And maybe that's something that I... Not necessarily saying that I'm watching this going, oh, man, I just don't feel that classic Spielberg inner child right now. <laughs> but one of those things that's so great about uh, Spielberg's work, regardless of who his subject is or what age they are, is he he's wonderful at capturing a sense of awe and a sense of wonder. It, it's that, that memified Spielberg face where it's the, the camera kind of, you know, zooming in on a face that's looking up at a horizon and, and just like I said, sheer awe and wonder. And I don't think there's anything in this movie that really inspires that same feeling. At least no. for me. Yeah. Well, See, that's I, why we, that's why we're here to talk about it. Go I ahead, know. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm saying is that, is that all this, uh, it really surprises me that Spielberg doesn't like this movie. Maybe like, I think that maybe he let the reception uh, abs- absorb too much into it or something, but, or maybe he's honest and really doesn't like it. Cause to me, I, I I feel the total opposite of the the middle of the film where they're hanging out with the kids. For one, all the kid actors are amazing, and you really feel like they're all solid characters and not one dimensional. But like 
I had the, the moment with the food fight at the beginning when, when they're all eating the fake food, and then all of a sudden, Robin Williams, you know, does the uh, when the when the food initially appears and flies on the guy's face, and they're all sitting there and they're having just the kind of push-ins that you're talking about on their faces, like wow, and the John Williams music's playing, like he made he made believe I'm, the food happened. I feel that, like I'm like there in that, as, especially not, as a kid, and, yeah. even today, I'm like that moment was cool, and then I feel like that's sprinkled throughout. So I I'm never not saying that why. he doesn't. I'm not saying that he doesn't go for those notes. I'm not saying that he doesn't try to play those notes. I'm saying it just doesn't. It just doesn't work. Then land quite for you right for me yeah. as a jaded 30 something grumpy year old, old man <laughs> black hearted I, I think i'm being <laughs> very like generous no one one example right to that end is um uh for example when when robin williams comes back and he's he's learned to fly again and he cuts his way through the sail in order to in order to like you know float through that he cuts the silhouette out of it and when they pick up the the cutout part of the silhouette, it's like, it's perfectly defined. It looks exactly like there's even hairs that are cut into it. It's so perfectly detailed. And I know that this is a fun, goofy, cartoonish movie, but it's one of those things that like, for all of that, for all of that build up, and then for Robin Williams to just kind of float forward, it just feels like there's something missing, you know, it's... It feels like he's going for that big moment, the the bicycles in front of the moon, you know? It feels like he's going for something big and iconic, which is something he's so great at doing throughout his career, and it just doesn't, it just never feels like it lands for me. It feels like I'm I'm watching an imitation. Okay. Interesting. Different so, strokes so for different I, folks. I feel like, yeah, and I feel like there's two ways to look at this, maybe. I mean, maybe more, but at least two ways. One is that, Steven Spielberg is a grumpy old man and he's longing for the days of youth and he's looking at children around him and he's like, man, it sucks that you're a corporate lawyer. It sucks that you're a filmmaker that's trapped in the business world. That kind of sucks. Why can't I just go back to like remembering youth, which was filled with potential and hope and beauty and connection and love and passion and all these things, right? So it's like he's looking back at that. And then... And then from that perspective, it kind of then is like, ah, so what What he views youth as is just this purely like abstract conception of youth. And so he's totally detached from it. And that's why it doesn't work. The other way to look at it, and this is the way that I actually tend to favor, is that actually there's something that is powerful about that backward look that is basically saying, you know what, I still have that inner child within me. And that inner child within me is actually what is the creative impulse of me being a storyteller. Right. And it's actually what draws me to certain types of tales and the tale of Peter Pan about this boy that never grows up is amazing. And then what would happen if that were corrupted somehow by sending that person into a world that's filled with all these familial pressures and livelihood pressures. And of course, you know, you find love, which is a sort of like passion that detracts you from youth. So it's like you can only choose one or the other. I think that that's a really interesting and rich kind of way to tell a story. And for me, that's kind of the way that I view this view this film. Yeah, I get that. It, it ends up kind of being um, uh, like a Christmas carol at the end that he he, he wakes up yeah. on the street and he's reinvigorated and he's found that yeah. inner child again. And I, I understand that. I, I'm not. And he is in London and it is Christmas <laughs> yeah. time. I'm, I'm not <laughs> objecting. I, I'm not objecting to the intent in any way. It's just all, all I'm trying to say is that it just it's it, it doesn't hit me. And I don't think it's my cynicism either, because every time I watch E.T., when Elliot is being shuffled out of the room by the, the faceless, you know, feds. And E.T.'s heart light starts to glow again, but no one sees it. I get a little misty eyed. I get goosebumps just thinking about it. Like, and, and that's the thing is that he's so good at constructing those moments throughout the course of his filmography. And, and in this one, it just it kind of feels like someone going through the motions a little bit. And it sounds like by Spielberg's own admission, there were some times where he maybe felt the same way. Dude, I didn't realize it. This is literally Peter Pan meets A Christmas Carol. This is like what would happen if Peter Pan were Scrooge. Yeah, and what he does is he goes back to the past. He doesn't really have, you know, the ghost of the present and the ghost of the future, but he does have the ghost of the past, right? Tinkerbell, Tinkerbell is that ghost of the past that brings him to the past, and he's able to kind of like go his, back there and uh, remember. His Jacob and, Marley, yeah. 
Yeah, 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 exactly. And his happy memory is like birth and life and being human. Like that's the happy memory that is also, I think, really lovely, right? It's not like, oh, the time that uh, I won the game or something like that. It's a very sort of just like simple, like I was born and I had a mother and I, I am like earthly. So there's also something kind of amazing about that that I think is really kind of celebratory and wonderful. And yeah, it is a Christmas Carol story. That is interesting. The, I've never made that connection. But uh, one thing I will say, watch the the difference between these viewings is is I, I just simply remember as a kid, I had no – there's a complete logical disconnect about how the fuck can a man, a grown person not remember their childhood, you know, like literally physically like have zero memory like it was amnesia and didn't happen, you know? Did, did any of you guys watch it that way when you were kids? Like, I, like, I think – yeah, that occurred to me maybe as a kid, but in the context of the story and also knowing more about how our our brains are wired to like for with trauma for example, you know that we we can repress things that and not sure. to say that his time on Neverland was traumatizing, <laughs> but you know the brain is such a weird and complicated thing. It it makes a little bit more sense in the context of the story now, but Well, yeah, but like you would never forget that you could fly and had a fight with a pirate <laughs> and a crocodile well, and all this, this shit like like that actually yeah. physically happened to you as a child. Like I don't think you would literally forget about that and I definitely remember thinking this time like oh that, that it really is more of a metaphor just kind of like like you don't remember the feeling you kind of remember yeah distant memories in the fog and haze of your adult memories but the feeling of you being a kid and stuff that's really what they're saying is is that that you can forget that and then you become jaded and then time has passed and then you have no real compassion for uh for what it's like to be a kid and I love that part about it now, but I definitely, obviously, as a kid, you have no concept of that. And you're like, what? And then and then I'm like, wait, he really literally forgets everything you ever did as a kid? That's fucking weird. Okay. That, that brings up the one, the one thing that I would say, if I had to go in there and cut 30 minutes out of this, a lot of the stuff that I would chop out is the references to, like, his family is, it's... It's weird to me, and this is probably just a me thing, so tell me I'm an idiot, but it is weird to me that this universe has the family from the story Peter Pan, and then they also have the book Peter Pan that is still apparently very culturally influential and just as famous as it is in our universe, and everyone is like, yeah, my grandma is the lady from the Peter Pan book, but they never <laughs> seem to have really drilled down on that in the past 40 years because otherwise they probably would have recovered Robin Williams' memories sooner. Like, it's yeah. weird to me that this this book is so popular to the point that, like, they're doing the play at school. The and play she, version, yeah. When she sees her grandma, she's like, oh, yeah, I played I played the role that's based on your life. But none of them actually scrutinize the implications of that in any way, shape, or <laughs> well, maybe The answer is just don't think See, about it. See, this is what I kind of... Yeah. <laughs> I always thought that they never took her seriously, right? Like, this was just a tale that she told. Like, it wasn't a true story. It was a sort of, like... Um, fictional biographical account and she was a wonderful storyteller and that she exaggerated and used hyperbole and stuff like that. And so then I wonder, I wonder, is there a way that we could even read all the Neverland stuff as being just a dream? Well, or do you think it I leans kept, into the realism during, pretty heavily? During this watch, I kept thinking they should they should cut to Robin Williams at the end, having fallen out of the big open window that he kept telling Jack to keep closed. And like this whole movie is just the final DMT hit while his brain leaks out of his ears and watching it. From, Jesus, like, that's the dark version. Well, no, I know, but that's, I mean, that is essentially like the Christmas Carol aspect of it. When you come away from yeah, it, it's yeah. like, well, did it really happen? Or was this just a dream that he yeah. needed to, you know, reignite that fire within or the wizard of yes. oz thing where you were there and you were there and you were there and i'll never leave kansas again like there there is that aspect or that energy to it obviously i don't think that's what steven spielberg was going for but he does i mean a few people in the chat have pointed out he wakes up in the street surrounded by like empty alcohol bottles and there's a guy well, and, Smee, yeah. and, and yeah bob, bob hoskins, hoskins is, is sweeping yeah. and he goes hey, you might want to, like, get inside before you die or, like, whatever he says. And it does have that Wizard of Oz vibe that, like, yeah, this could have yeah. 100% just been 
he he went off on a bender because he fucking hates his wife and kids so much. <laughs> he found my marbles. I did find the marbles. Lovely. What is it? Tittles? Tuttles? Tootles? Tittles? Tittles? Tootles? Okay. So before we keep going, I got to give a shout out to our another sponsor, which is Skillshare. Skillshare is pretty freaking awesome, guys. Basically, it is a community where you can unleash your creativity and pursue your passions right from the convenience of your home. It's an online learning community. They have classes. Um, where you can basically connect with other like-minded people and creatives, where you can explore projects that you're passionate about. And they offer a huge range of classes, iPhone photography, drone filming, editing, classes on improving productivity, video for Instagram, which I need because I am terrible at video on Instagram. Uh, they have a new one uh, called Artivism that is about like using art for social purposes and for change. And so if you want to explore your creativity and connect with some cool people along the way, make sure you go to Skillshare.com slash show me, I'm sorry, SMTM. Let's do that again, just so we're clear on this. It's Skillshare.com slash SMTM, as in show me the meaning. So that's Skillshare.com slash SMTM, and you'll get a free trial of their premium membership. So go to Skillshare.com slash SMTM, or click the link in the show notes below. All right. Let's keep talking about Hook here. So we kind of, we've talked a little bit about like children, we've talked about nostalgia, we've talked about youth, all these other things. Let's talk about the performances. What do y'all think about Dustin Hoffman, about uh, Bob Hoskins? Um, I mean, they're just going full ham here. I think those two are having a hell of a time. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're having a great time. What's that, Ryan? Um, about about all the performances or just those two? Let's start with those two. I think those those two are front of the pack. I think that they uh, Bob Hoskins especially is is just bouncing off the walls. Uh, <laughs> Dustin Hoffman doing like a literal mustache twirling bit as the villain in this, and yes. he is not the person that you would think when you're when you're casting Captain Hook. Who I want a a real devious sort in there. I mean, Dustin Hoffman, by all mm. accounts, is kind of a crummy person. But at this time, and his his persona as an on-screen star does not does not immediately scream Captain Hook. But I think he does a great job. Um, Robin Williams, uh, he plays it, especially after watching these docs, like I've been telling you about. You, you would kind of expect him to play it, even when he gets to Peter Pan. Uh, like a little bit more sillier at some point, but he doesn't like, do the Robin Williams mm, thing. Yeah, He's he doesn't like, do his yeah. normal shtick. It's like he has to be the opposite, which is kind of counterintuitive for a Peter Pan movie. But he's playing a grown up, you know. <laughs> it is it is kind of weird to see him on, like so firmly on the leash in such a fantastic environment because you'd think that there would be at least a few scenes where Steven Spielberg just sort of let him loose to do his, you know, his, his ad-libbing, his voices, his, you know, his whole shit. Yeah, if you told me you were going to make a two-hander and it was going to star Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams and one of them was going to be the straight man and one of them was going to be the non-straight man, uh, tell me who do you think would play what role, right? But that's absolutely not the way it is here, right? There's just so much kind of chaotic energy that Dustin Hoffman is using and it kind of I think it forces like I'm sure it was an intentional choice but it forces Robin Williams to be on that leash so that's probably just good direction on the part of Spielberg and maybe character choice from Williams as well I would have loved to have been there for the for all the kids they had to whittle down because he he's just so good Mm. at casting fucking kids man like it's such Mm. a good ensemble of those lost boys and I think that they fucking um from what I read or somewhere online like I think it was a it's always a hassle to to direct kids, you know, but like a bunch of them that are uh, apparently it was pretty rowdy on set and he had a hard time wrangling them and it took oh, really? fucking forever. And they went like 40 days over over budget well, can or you over imagine schedule to, or whatever. Not just not just having to direct, you know, 20 or 30 kids who are all having the time of their life on a film set, but having the time of their life on this film set that is designed yeah. to be a playground, that is designed to be a theme right. park, a fantasy. They have a, a literal baseball diamond like on their back lot for this. Like it's it, I mean, mm. this is 
I, I remember reading um, about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and when they when the kids first go into the invent uh, into the inventing room in uh, in that movie is literally the first time that any of that cast had seen that set, and you no, know, oh, every, wow. a, and literally, I think close to close to half of that set was actually edible. There was a lot of stuff in there that those kids could just immediately like grab a handful of and shovel into their face, and they said that it was just like. It, it, it was it was like walking into a dreamland and i i imagine that wow. that would be kind of similar to this but when when we're talking about casting i don't know if you guys know this but michael jackson coveted this role he he of was peter pan of peter pan or peter banning uh or panning or whatever his name is at the hmm. beginning he i mean yeah yeah he was good friends with spielberg at the time and he lobbied hard for this role and was so upset with Spielberg for not casting him that he is reported to have hired a witch doctor to cast a spell on Steven Spielberg to kill him like years no, after this came out. That cannot be a real thing. I don't he there there is there there is uh reporting on this i don't know if it actually happened but he is alleged to have spent like a hundred and fifty thousand dollars to get a witch doctor to cast a a spell on 25 different people spielberg included because he was not cast in hook what a dick his dream role of Peter Pan. But I guess the thing that the thing that Spielberg told him to like throw him off the project scent was he he basically said, Oh, this isn't a Peter Pan that you would want to play. He's like a boring old lawyer. That's not gonna be interesting to you. Okay. <laughs> but uh I mean it, just think think about how how fucking insane that would be. I mean very insane. It's just yeah, not um not definitely not my uh I think I I doubt that Ryan would have the same feelings about this film as he does and I would be uh, a lot less generous in my criticism of it if he were would give it a very different vibe. Yeah. Um but yeah, honestly when I think about why all the reasons I like this movie it really isn't Robin Williams is performance even though I I, 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 it's kind of the stuff that you said. It's the production value. It's the Lost Boys. It's Rufio. It's you know all that shit. And and he does kind of give a muted performance. It's, it's you know he he's from Juilliard, right? So he's a serious. He's in a, a very serious, professionally trained actor. He's a fine actor. Yeah, and um, and it's funny because you can kind of go down his filmography and really put him in categories on what, you know, is he going insane Mork and Mindy style? Like that's like Aladdin and Jack and all that shit. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. But then there's his goodwill hunting and his serious shit, his one, one hour photo and whatever. Uh, insomnia. Have you seen, have you seen a uh, world's greatest dad? I love that movie. Yeah. yeah that's definitely say, in the second category. Yeah. That's definitely in the second category. And I'd kind of put his performance in this, oddly enough, a kid's movie in the second category of like playing a serious role. Mm. And then it just, but, but, but it just so happens, you know, that he, he kind of, that's part of the theme of the film is that he's, it's him growing out of that, but he never really goes full Mork and Mindy, like we were saying before. If, if you had to swap out one of the, uh, the main characters in this either either hook or uh or peter is there anyone you think of from that era who really could have knocked it out of the park for you ryan who could have taken hook? this I this li- movie from great to uh perfect for i you? think everyone's perfectly cast no, everyone's I, pretty I good think, you think i don't think there's anyone i would uh i guess yeah my, I, I only from sheer curiosity yeah. i want to see that michael jackson cut but, uh, <laughs> but <that's laughs> well, you you brought up rufio and i'm i'm curious how you feel yeah. about i feel like rufio was done dirty in this picture what? He, okay. He's, oh, he he's, a cla- like, he's the classic. This. Well, but yeah, hold but on. I I agree. He's he, he he's yeah. a great time, but he he gets iced by Captain Hook, and then twenty seconds later, all the Lost Boys are like, "All right, well, you know, Captain Hook got eaten by the alligator. Ooh, thank you for the sword, Peter. I'll uh, be sure not to stab myself when I'm rolling around with it." And uh, Rufio. <laughs> Okay, no, they are warriors, just, right. and they yes, they remember their their pal who died in battle, but they've moved on. They're hardened <laughs> lost boys. That's right. Yeah, and there's there's also there's also something that we just don't know. Maybe they had a huge year of uh, of memorial for Rufio afterwards, right? We don't we don't know. We can't assume. You can't judge somebody's grieving process, Raymond. 
I'm talking. Yeah, I am talking did. about the audience's grieving process, which is non-existent. We don't get <laughs> we don't get a single moment to process Rufio's death after he he flies up. He goes no, and then and then uh, they they fight, and then looky Hook, looky, I got Hook gets gobbled up, and that's that's it. And they don't mention Rufio again. They don't breathe his name. You know, it's interesting. It is funny that Rufio. I mean, one of my favorite punk uh, pop punk bands when I was a it was like a young teen was Rufio. You guys, did you guys ever listen to Rufio? Do you know the band? Yeah, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> I've seen him. At yeah, World about. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly, dude. Like that kind of vibe. Like that was my world when I was like 14 to 19, you know? So, um, but yeah, it is interesting that Rufio, like when I think of Hook, I think of uh, Dustin Hoffman, I think of Bob Hoskins, and I think of Rufio. And so I feel like it's interesting that a supporting character has become, maybe it's the hairstyle, maybe it's just because it's kind of like a, that chant, the Rufio, Rufio, Rufi, oh. I mean, there's something magnetic about him as an actor, and apparently he has resurfaced and has become like a TikTok celeb. Oh, really? I just had a friend Perfect. on Twitter tell me this. So that's friggin' awesome. Good for him. But um, there is something magnetic about this character and about him as Next an actor. Next week we'll be reviewing Rufio's TikTok. <laughs> exactly. But I, why is that, do you think? Like, why are people, like, attracted? Why do they gravitate to this character so much? He's just a, he's a bad boy. He's just, he's James <laughs> Dean. He's James Dean cool rolling in on his little wind, his wind skateboard. <laughs> and then That's he, right. I dude. mean, and he, my oh my, he has a foul mouth calling, a, calling Peter a, a beetle eater or whatever the fuck you know, all their stupid insults are <laughs> like he's just he's he's the the fellow that uh you're you know you can never bring home to mom but boy oh boy <laughs> if you uh <laughs> if you you know that he you can always bum a cigarette off of him he's just a cool cat <laughs> the um and how uh, come he's like 27 and the rest of the lost boys are like 12 no. Well, the best he thing was, was he, he that he, old? I'm curious how old he actually. No, was. no, no, no. He's, no, he's the like guy. A, he's, like a t- he's like 15 or. 14. Well, he's the. That's why. That's why they look up to him. Is that he is the. He's the man among boys, you know, or just the, the elder statesman. Yeah. I mean, yeah, dude. He he is that that one dude that is at every school that's just like the man. You know, you're like, oh yeah, you know, the most. And, and it's the dynamic uh, of all the kids uh, to him. Like you said, they look up to him. So that's kind of why it rubs off on you as a kid. You're like, oh, Rufio. I want to be like Rufio. You know, I want to be that dude. It, it, it kind of reminds me of uh, what's the dude's character, the, 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 the second main character in the Sandlot, the, the leader of the gang, right? I forget his Benny name. The Jet, Benny the Jet yeah, Rodriguez? Yeah, exactly. Benny. The Jet. You Benny. know, it's just like he's the fucking man and he's the leader and, and you you follow he's level headed and he's uh he, he leads you in battle and he's confident and stuff and he's just the fucking man, you know? Like uh uh yeah. so that's that's why he's the he's the classic character. And then the and then he has a cool chant to go along with it. So well, women women want it. him and lost boys want to be him. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm a lost boy. Um Okay, so before we jump into the mailbag here, let's just briefly talk about Spielberg, right? We talked about him a little bit, but like, what do we think? Obviously, he doesn't really have too many misses. Maybe this is one of the quote misses, at least in some people's eyes, although I think that it's still a really enjoyable film personally. Huge Ryan hit. does, Raymond not so much. Yeah, um, what are your favorite? Like, what, what, what's top tier Spielberg for you? Like, top three, what, what's, what's top tier? Oh man, you gotta just spring Ryan, that on me Ryan, right now. you got him. I'm surfing over to I know, you gotta Google as we speak. But, I, I mean, off the top I mean, like, of my is it, head. Is it 80s? Is it like 70s, 80s? I love, Spielberg? I think Jaws is, is one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah. Jaws, Jaws to me is a, a perfect film. Uh, it, that would be my, my favorite Spielberg film. But I, I think uh, E.T., the first Indiana Jones is so much fun. I mean, the, yeah. he's, you know, no one, no one else could do what speak uh, what what peak Steven Spielberg could do which is just like take take all of these crazy influences and and uh and, and turn out these fantastic worlds that still have a real sense of gravity and have a real sense of stakes about them mm-hmm. um but uh yeah go ahead Ryan can i get, i, I got to do four i can't do three i got to do four <laughs> okay right. give me and, your four and my and my four are close encounters of the third kind to me, that's one of the best films of all time. Uh, uh, Hook, one of this uh, this movie, and then Jurassic <laughs> wow. Park and Saving Private yeah. Ryan. Those four are my top four. Okay. 
I would also throw in um I like I mentioned I loved uh I loved Bridge of Spies. Catch Me If You Can kind of flies under the radar but is an extremely Are these in your top 4? Uh I mean they're 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 up He's there. Made some good I, movies. I think those those ones are really fun and I also think uh Minority Report and War of the Worlds is is kind of once once again another under the radar like stealth very good Spielberg movie. He did that and Minority Report with Tom Cruise. They both have a cool look to them and I think they're a lot of fun. Under the radar, those two are for sure, but I wouldn't say top four. Yeah, I like Minority Report a lot, but for me, it's the 70s and 80s and early 90s Spielberg that is really the best word. My favorite <laughs> that Spielberg 30 film is probably... year decade span, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 30 year, yeah. Well, since, since like, well, really, like, War of the Worlds and after, or maybe, like, was that around Minority Report? Like, that, like, you know, late 90s into early 2000s, I kind of haven't been in love with his stuff. There's something about the wonder of Jurassic Park the Indiana Jones films, um, E.T., like those films to me, they, they have something that the more recent films don't have. And and I don't know what it is. There's there's a magic. And I, and I don't want to just be that grumpy dude that is like, I hate digital, I hate digital. But I do wonder if the shift to special effects, computer-generated stuff has kind of detracted a little bit from the worlds that he built, right? Like, obviously, Jurassic Park uses some amazing technology, but it also uses animatronics in a way that is absolutely fantastic. And I feel like, for me, that's kind of like the synthesis. Like, it's the hinge at which he kind of goes in a direction that I don't love, Where, but it's the culmination of, of kind of everything up to that point yeah. for me. Jurassic so Park, the, those, those the effects effect. still hold up in a way that so, so many Dude. movies that came after them just don't. And I, I will say, I think the same year Jurassic Park came out was also when Schindler's List came out and that to me is like kind of the apex mm. as a filmmaker that you can you can mm. release an Oscar winning movie and a movie that is one of the biggest blockbuster four quadrant pleasers in the same year I don't think mm. Steven Spiel I mean this is going to sound crazy because he's probably the most applauded filmmaker uh, who has ever lived I think we underrate Steven Spielberg as a filmmaker. <laughs> I mean, the guy was absurdly prolific. His his hits to misses ratio was uh, uh, insanely insanely high, insanely in his favor. I would say. I just, I mean, the the guy knows how to make a picture. You gotta give it. You gotta give yes. him credit. I yeah. what boggles my mind is. The you know you know talking about effects and special effects and uh, are they better or worse now? It, it's the Jurassic. When I look at Jurassic Park effects, which is like ninety three, and it's literally the best fucking special effects ever in a movie. I've, I've, it's just top. Of, it's the pinnacle, the peak, right? I'm not saying best ever. Like like there's not anything better than that. But in terms of like, do I believe those are dinosaurs? Yes. Right. And yeah. if I if you made a dinosaur movie today or even the last Jurassic World, obviously there's so many shots from like, all right, well, that's clearly not a real dinosaur. That's a fucking computer mm. dinosaur. There's just no way that it's a real dinosaur or it's even an animatronic or whatever. I, so it does. I do feel like just on an industry wide thing, we've gone backwards from Jurassic Park because that's always my gold standard. If I ever see a, a computer generated shot that kind of is out of, out of the way or out of place, I'm like, why? We did it so well in 93 with Jurassic Park. Why have we gone back? Why have we regressed? Well, I think that has to do with the fact that back then CGI was only advanced enough to hide the seams of practical effects. And I, th yeah. I think to this day, That's CGI is still, is still best deployed when it's just used to hide the seams, to hide, you know, to hide the wires, so to speak. David and Fincher, David Fincher does this really well in an expansive sense by building out city drops in the background, but it's very subtle. It's, it's just kind of, you wouldn't even know that in certain films, David Fincher is actually using boatloads of CGI, but he does it in a way that is kind of really lovely because like you just said, it hides the cracks of the landscape. To or build out environments the and yeah, exactly. to help sell it. I mean, I would put Jurassic Park, as far as visual effects are concerned, I would put it up there with uh, last week's uh, work from The Thing, Rob, Rob Bottin's masterful work in that. And to tie these two films together, uh, they're both shot by uh, Dean Cundey. Phenomenal, uh, phenomenal Whoa. cinematographer. Oh, that. So props to Dean Cundy. Uh, amazing. I want to make another comment too on... Yeah, last um, word, last word, Ryan, and then we'll jump into the mailbag. Yeah, the, the whole thing about, about is it film that is... The, the, uh, is it digital versus film that's making it to where Spielberg doesn't make his good Spielberg movies? And I would argue that, that it... Uh, it's the times we're living in, just like zeitgeist-wise. Like, I don't think that... It's hard to make a, a Spielberg-y film today 
and not and not feel like it's trying to be nostalgia porn or something because people are so fucking cynical and jaded at, you know, uh, talking about hook and stuff like people just today in general, everybody is more jaded well, than JJ Steven Spielberg. JJ Abrams might be the guy that's trying to make Spiel like super eight is a Spielberg film. Yeah. Right? But like, it, just like, yeah, uh, he it only is in the, in the such, in the sense that there's kids and, a, and there's lens flares and a kind of, and he does the same push-ins and stuff that Raven was talking about earlier. He's yeah. just aping the style way less. Yeah. He never, I feel like nails the, the true feeling of those movies, you know, with that John Williams score and just, and stuff. And so basically my point is, is that I think that, it, you know, if you, if you shot ET today, literally, beat for beat the same script it would not feel the same because kids and people aren't the same as they were mm, and i think spielberg his mind he's the best director that was emblematic of the zeitgeist of the 70s and 80s and stuff that kind of like i don't know people were just not the, the, the not jaded people that lived back then um yeah. is every every yeah, there, there every... is something there there is something to say about like a post-ironic world right yeah. like yeah, there's a lot that, that that we've talked about on Wisecrack, like the Bo Burnham video talked about this. So if you're interested, you can check that one out. There's a lot of stuff that that it kind of shapes the the way that we can do art in a world that is cynical and, as Ryan just said, maybe a tad jaded. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Oh no, all all I was gonna say is that every every movie has its moment, and uh, I I think yeah. you know it's it's a fun hypothetical to entertain. We'll never know, but I think there are a lot of uh, a lot of wonderful films from back then that would just disappear in today's landscape you know oh, yeah. times change hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price price line yeah all right so now let's jump into the mailbag so for those of you out there that are listening those of you in the chat those of you that are listening on the podcast as this has been released afterwards remember that you can call us in and you can give us suggestions you can give us your hot takes on the film you can agree or disagree with us please do we love to hear from you the number to call in is one 213-534-8807. That's 1-213-534-8807. You can leave us a little voicemail. Um, so first, we're going to start off with Michael, who has some thoughts on The Thing. Go ahead, Michael. Hey, Wisecrack guys and folks and people. This is uh, Michael from Rhode Island calling. Love the show. I've, um, I think, Austin, you're doing a great job uh, moderating. wanted to bring up something with um, the thing, I know that the idea that, that perhaps the thing could be a metaphor for AIDS was brought up, but I believe uh, I read some criticism back in college when I was taking a sci-fi film studies course um, about the film is that one of the parallels was drawn with cancer, that the, um, the thing attacked you at the cellular level much like cancer does. Cancer replaces healthy cells and, and uh, does terrible things to the body. That's kind of what the thing does. It, it infects and replaces human cells with alien cells, uh, causing all sorts of, of problems. So wanted to see what you all thought about that possible interpretation. Keep up the good work. Thank you um, for all the great content, and uh, stay safe. Thanks so much, Michael. Yeah, this is interesting. You know what it just triggered in my mind is the film Annihilation that Great similarly movie. has yeah. – that Great has a, t a same – yeah, it's about life being exponentially increasing rather than an infection destroying life, which is a very good point, Michael. Yeah, what do you guys think? I Kind of like what I said on the podcast, there's lots of way – you know, this movie is right for you to kind of – say what a one-to-one -one the thing is supposed to mean i don't it would be weird to me if 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 john carpenter came out and said oh yeah the thing is about cancer <laughs> like right, i don't yeah. i don't know like, like i get what he's saying though uh it does attack you like a cancer but i don't know if it's a 
metaphor yeah. for cancer. Even the simulation kind of feels that the way that it absorbs cells and starts to replicate on its own. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it is, I, I, I guess, yeah, literally it is a cancer in, in so far mm. as how it acts. But I think right. moreover, the, the, the cool thing that we kind of touched on about the thing uh, last week was that it can, we, like we mentioned, the thing is not any one thing. It literally could just be this virus, and that is the extent to which life exists on whatever planet the thing came from. And I really, really like that. I, I like that it is this unseeable, unknowable threat that may not even know that it's affecting you. Is you know, like uh, when they do the blood test, and it just it, there's just a natural reaction for it to defend itself and jump out of the little petri dish. Is like I don't think the thing is even aware of those guys in there. It's just it's just looking for new cells to assimilate. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to jump into an email for the last thing that we're going to talk about in the mailbag. You can, if you don't want to call us or if you can't call us for whatever reason, you can also email us at movies at wisecrack.co. That's movies at wisecrack.co. This is an email from Marlin. Um, it's on The Thing, and Director Deep Dive Suggestion was the title. So it's, hey, Wisecrack, I listened to your recent SMTM on The Thing and loved the takes. I had only seen it for the first time a few weeks ago when the country froze over and really loved how it made my skin crawl. I loved the point about the film being almost meta-symbolic, I don't know if that's a word, about paranoia and otherness being a part of the human condition. In school, I thought a lot about the time, I thought a lot of the time the analysis could focus too much on specific allegory or symbolism, and I really enjoyed all the viewpoints that could be projected onto the titular thing in a way that made the movie feel so much larger than a standard x equals y narrative kind of like what ryan was just saying maybe so thank you so much for that i'm gonna go watch the movie 12 more times we definitely recommend that by the way marlon also he says you ask for a director deep dive and he said he has an odd suggestion roland emmerich is his suggestion okay. and he I says love him and he says here's why blast. his movies often often display similar motifs that are highly relevant to modern times uh, including listening to science, patriotism versus nationalism. The world's going to end. Fear, misunderstanding. Yeah, he has a pretty broad body of work that was popular at the box office. And Godzilla vs. Kong is coming out soon, and it would be a good time to get into to what works and what doesn't in potentially bad kaiju flicks. So real quick, <laughs> just so you know, because, because we know that there is kind of like this monster theme that is in the air right now, we're actually going to be doing Pacific Rim in two weeks' time. So we'll be talking about Pacific Rim in two weeks' time, but maybe that'll open us up to then maybe doing another director deep dive and we could talk about Godzilla vs. Kong and various other things. So that is going to be coming up in the future. What do y'all think about Roland Emmerich? I love the dude, man. I, I, I think it's an art to figure out how to destroy the world in different cool ways. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the genre of the world ending and stuff. I think it's fun. So I think he's he's a master at it. Although I, I definitely think that Independence Day, once again, I, I look at Independence Day at the effects, and there was a lot of computer CGI effects in that, but it looks great. It like really it Some works. Great, and I and then I look at his later his film. later work, Roland Emmerich's later films in 2012 or Ice Age or whatever, or not Ice Age, whatever the 10,000 BC, and it's like so CGI heavy to the point of cartoon ridiculousness and i'm like yeah yeah he, he obviously loves that shit but i think he goes over with board i think i wish he could somehow revert to his 97 filmmaking style with id4 i think uh i think independence day is a hell of a good time and that is another movie that just feels of its era you know it's it, i mm. i lament this often that the only the only big action movies we get anymore, the only big sci-fi movies we get anymore are just superheroes. Like, un unless, once yeah. again, Christopher Nolan kind of has uh, a blank check to do what he wants over there at Warner Brothers. Maybe not so much anymore after uh, bagging on uh, HBO Max the way that he did. But mm. we, we never get those big budget science fiction movies anymore. And I, I think that's a, that's a real shame because Independence Day was one of those that, like, you could not escape when that came out from the Super Bowl commercial clear through to, to summer when like pe people were going crazy for that movie. I think I went and saw that two or three times with my parents. I mean, dude, yeah, that, I, I will never forget watching that. I mean, I literally saw it on 4th of July weekend 
when, whenever that was, 96 or something. Such and a great sense of scale in that movie. And like, once yeah, again, it yeah. inspires awe. Yeah. And, and it's, but it's also a well-made story and, and, you know, a, a fun crowd pleasing piece of entertainment. Right. Is what I would say. If, like when you watch that movie, you're like, wow, that was a fucking movie. And um, that rarely happens these days. Yeah, so. maybe what we'll do is we'll do a patron poll where we just have like Roland Emmerich, Roland Emmerich, Roland Emmerich, Roland Emmerich, and Roland Emmerich. <laughs> and maybe we just do. Maybe we just do. I don't know. Let well, us know. Okay, look, I, can... I love the guy, but there really are only a few cream of the crop of his <laughs> filmography. Okay, of his disaster yeah, yeah, yeah. porn, Stargate. Well, maybe we can do a one-off. Maybe we'll do a one-off of Emmerich at some point. Not do a retrospective, but who knows? So that's right. You can email us wisecrack uh, movies at wisecrack.co. That's movies at wisecrack.co. Give us your thoughts on the films that we discuss. Send us your movie suggestions. Again, call us at one two one three five three four eight eight zero seven. We gotta get out of here. Where can people find you on the internet, Raymond? Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter and Letterboxd. I'm at Crematoria, C-R-E-A-M-A-T-O-R-I-A. And Ryan? You can find me at Ryan Shorts on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and stuff. Or Ryan's Game Show on Twitter. And uh, I release comedy shorts. I'm going to release a huge one, man. With I can't yeah. tell you anything about it. It's going to be hook-sized. It, it's going to be hook-sized. It's going to be great. <laughs> you'll, you'll like it. Neverland-sized. Yeah. Austin, before you uh, give your, si- your, your info and sign-off, uh, we, we also know what we're going to do next week, don't we? Uh, yeah, I think we're going to be talking about the Wes Anderson uh, film, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Is that correct? Uh, oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, uh, nice. I think we, yeah, we cool. agreed on that one. So just to, just to whet people's appetites before we go. Yeah, so make sure you check that out so you can tune in with us next week and you can be a little bit more engaged with the chat or you can get a refresher on it if you haven't seen it in a while. In the meantime, you can hit me up on Twitter, Austin underscore Hayden. You can hit me up on Insta, AUS underscore H-A-Y. I'm relaunching my YouTube channel. Um, I kind of haven't really done much with it lately, but I'm basically going to be doing like little philosophical, political commentary stuff, the stuff that is my forte as a Capitalism, kind of professional philosopher. all the things that lose your uh, guts. By the way, Mr. Sexy Noodles, you owe me a beer. Um, so, but yeah, go ahead and hit my YouTube channel up. It's 21st Century Renaissance Man, uh, or you can just Google Austin Hayden Smith and you'll find it. But yeah, we love you. Send us out, Ryan. Goodbye from Never.